0: Hi, my name is Kate Gillis, and I am a Policy Analyst in the International Programs Division of the Population Reference Bureau. I'll be joined today by Kate Lane, Youth Advisor for USAID's Bureau of Global Health, Division of Service Delivery Improvement in the Office of Population and Reproductive Health. Today, Kate and I are going to talk about the importance of adolescent health broadly, the value of a holistic, positive development approach to youth issues, and the importance of involving young people themselves in the efforts to address their needs. Thank you so much for joining us today, Kate. I'm going to start by uh, saying that discussions about adolescent health often focus on sexual and reproductive health, but this Lancet series clearly called for a broader perspective on adolescent health. Um, I know that USAID is trying to push that forward and wanted to hear a little bit about how it's playing out in USAID's work, especially under the new youth and development policy.
1: Well, you know, of course, most of our funding is, for sexual and reproductive health in terms of HIV prevention and care and treatment, family planning, maternal and child health. Um, and we pretty much have to work within the parameters of, of the type of funding that we're allocated. Um, since I've been at USAID and for the past three years, there's certainly a tremendous awareness, awareness of the importance of things like noncommunicable diseases and the fact that, you know, violence is a, is a major uh, cause of death among young people, road traffic injuries, things like that. So we can do limited things in those spheres. Um, but one of the things we talked about in terms of non communicable diseases, for example, is using sort of healthy lifestyles information as a platform in some of the more conservative societies where we work to then begin to introduce the notion of, in addition to the importance of good diet and exercise, you know, the importance of contraception, the importance of um, HIV prevention, these other types of messages that you may not want to leave with those messages in certain parts of the world. Um, and we also recognize that there's sort of an interconnectedness around, you know, various risk factors, and so, you know, high-risk sexual behavior is also, it's also interconnected with things like smoking and alcohol use and poor diet. Um, so, you know, I think that we're more and more trying to build a case around the importance of not just addressing sort of specific risk factors, but building those protective factors, those life skills, Um, more work across sectors, you know, between education, health, or health and workforce development, um, and and, um, food security, agricultural programming, workforce development, and health, um, to really encourage that more holistic, comprehensive approach to health that is inclusive of reproductive health and and, uh, um, sexual and reproductive health
0: that gets at the next point in the Lancet series, which was their call for taking a holistic approach to young people and to young people's development, and calling for interventions that were not health specific, but that did reinforce positive health behaviors and outcomes. And I know that integrating and mainstreaming youth is one of the two main objectives of USAID's youth and development policy. And one of the things the Lancet series focused on is the ways in which interventions in the education sector and the employment sector um, and other sectors support some of the interventions that might be currently going on in the health sector or might support healthy outcomes.
1: One of the things that we've been talking a lot about at USAID is, you know, our interest, which I think is reflected in the youth policy, and, and we're definitely trying to reflect this in more and more of our programming, is a bit of a paradigm shift, you know, towards the whole notion of positive youth development, which as the Lancet series talks about is you know focuses not just on risk factors but also looking at those kind of positive assets, those protective factors like you know, strong relationship with parents and feeling valued by your communities and having opportunities to contribute, um, which uh, we think based on the work of organizations like the Search Institute can also help us to get to some of those those health and social development outcomes that you know we're so keen to see, which would be you know, delay of sexual initiation, uh, increased use of contraception, delay of childbearing, prevention of early marriage, those types of things. The new youth power project when it's eventually awarded, I think will be focusing very much on um, the positive youth development framework, but also this notion of trying to try to pull different sectors together and seeing youth development as a more comprehensive programming um, imperative. So that we're not just segmenting out health and not segmenting out education and, and workforce development, but seeing how all of these things reinforce each other. Um, Lori Zabin, who is a researcher at Hopkins a number of years ago, talked about the fact that hope is the best contraceptive for young people and seeing a sense of future where you have a job and, you know, you're not mm-hmm. just sort of getting married at 15, having your first child at 16, and that's just it for you. as You're just going to be having, you know, five or six kids until you eventually an IUD or uh, sterilization or what have you so that young people have a sense of you know their opportunity to participate in their communities and the, civic, um, the civil society processes and elections I think are incredibly important to our ability to convince young people of the value of using contraception and, and um, engaging in safer sex behaviors and so we're supporting some work in Uganda through uh, Georgetown University's Institute for Reproductive Health which is partnering with the Search Institute, who, which has compiled this list of 40 developmental assets, 20 that are internal, 20 that are external, and trying to do some correlational research that looks at the fact that if young people m- report more of these developmental assets, do they in turn report more positive health behaviors? Um, and that research is getting underway in Uganda in the next month or so. To so will help us make the case that, you know, we need to sort of expand our, our uh, toolkit and our um, approaches to young people, you know, above and beyond just sort of the standard approaches we've been using in the past 20 years around comprehensive sex ed, youth family services, uh, peer education programs, policy and advocacy, and, and, and helping to understand that there's more than one way to get at this issue. A project that was implemented out of our E3 office, the Equip 3 project, which was more focused on education, did some of this work with the Search Institute and did see some of these positive correlations between developmental assets and sort of the outcomes of interest to us. And we really want to strengthen the case around health, that these types of interventions um, are equally, in fact, and if not perhaps in some cases, more important for us to implement because they might be more acceptable to a lot of the communities that are still sort of grappling with the notion of um, adolescence and adolescent sexuality.
0: Well, and it sounds like it can also go a long way to promoting that multi-sectoral approach. If you're talking about uh, this paradigm shift, you're also using the same language that you hear in terms of uh, the demographic dividend and the potential for young people to contribute to their society if they have all of these supportive factors cool. in place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And and the most and certainly the most passionate and powerful young people I hear speak talk a lot about the potential and having the opportunities and, and what you were saying before, having their the hope for their future. And that excitement is really, you know, what can get people on board with their issues.
1: Yeah,
0: absolutely. So thinking about young people uh, and, and having a voice for themselves and being their own best spokespeople, the Lancet articles all call for a stronger voice for young people and greater participation of youth in policy and program development. I'm not sure people always know what this looks like in practice and it might be because we're still exploring the best ways of involving young people in a really meaningful way and I was hoping that you could talk about what what it means to involve young people and if you have any examples of some some promising approaches to doing that
1: well I think this is not an easy easy thing for people to do and I think you're absolutely correct I think in some respects we're still exploring um, how to more meaningfully engage young people as partners. And I think a lot of it is has less to do with young people, because I think they're very eager and very interested and very willing um, to engage with adults and um, with, with various projects or initiatives you know, to lend their voice to participate. I think a lot of it has to do with adults' sort of reticence or reluctance or discomfort with allowing young people in as equal partners. Um, in these types of programs. And so, yes, we are still experimenting with different approaches. The State Department has mandated that embassies are supposed to generate these these youth councils. And I think that might be a good place to start, and so we've certainly been encouraging our missions. Um, And in fact, you know, many of the the countries where USAID works, the missions and the embassies are co-located, and looking for ways to sort of build off some of the work that maybe the embassies are doing around seeking youth voice, but also looking not just to sort of using youth as a sounding board for policies and programs, but helping to see how young people can give feedback and advice and and tell their story a little bit better to ensure that our programs are are reaching them. We had a mission director conference earlier this year, and we had a young person come in and speak for for a session we did on the mission directors on youth. And at the end of the session, one of the mission directors said, well, I'm convinced I need to go back to my country. I think it was Liberia. I need to go back to Liberia and really recruit a group of young people like you who can really help us think through some of these issues. I know when we, we for the planning for the International Conference on Family Planning, I think that was a really excellent start. I think, you know, we over the past six years or so that the Family Planning Conference has been implemented. You know, the first year there was very little discussion of young people. The second iteration in 2011 in Dakar, then we we were able to get some young people there kind of Mm -hmm. off in a separate building and Mm -hmm. so there wasn't this sort of sense of inclusiveness and young people being part and parcel of sort of the focus of the conference and I think in Addis I think we took a huge step forward where young people are certainly much more integrated in the conference. We had a huge turnout and I'm happy to say that I think 15 or 16 young people were directly supported by um, missions and mission funded programs to attend um, and I believe there's as a result of that conference, um, there's this real sort of vibrant virtual network, which I believe PRB has been supporting, um, that continue to talk and exchange ideas and, and look for ways to advocate and advance their agenda. So that came out about a bit organically, but I think it really uh, grabbed the attention of a lot of the leaders that were at the conference. I think that they really represented themselves well, um, and I hope you know that they, they continue to, to move along
0: Yeah, it's been really wonderful to see. I've run into a few of the young people at different uh, family planning, reproductive health-related events, um, and Mm -hmm. it's been really wonderful to see their continued involvement and see people really interested in hearing what they have to say.
1: I know one of our projects in Kenya, there was a a big project, Yes, You Can, which came about after the post-election violence in 2008, I guess it was. I think that the Kenya mission really made a very significant effort to, to work with young people, to hear their voices, to understand their concerns, and to really kind of help them come up with sort of representative groups where they could discuss things and provide feedback to the, you know, to sort of the, the processes. That was less of a health focus. I think that was ended up being more around civic participation and um, income generation, employment. But um, you know, sort of looking at that approach where I think they really, really worked with young people to design the program and to implement the program. That's, I think that's a promising approach for other things that we do. And we have a project that is going to be looking at the impact of youth leadership on programming. So, for example, a lot of um, organizations may have young people represented in their board structures or they have youth advisors. Um, you know, that they can sort of point to and say, oh, yes, we have youth participation. And what we'd like this project to go back and look at is to what extent does having that sort of 25% youth representation on your board or having a youth advisor within your institutional organizational chart, to what extent does that really improve or influence the types of services and programs you provide to young people? And I think that we need to know that so we go beyond sort of the tokenism and... Um, sort of, you know, here's our young person. We're, we're, we're meeting the needs of our program because we have a young person on board. But I think we have to continue to push that envelope. And also being realistic about what young people can contribute given the fact that they're going to school or they're starting, you know, their, their, their work lives or they're starting their families. And so, you know, really trying to meet them halfway. Um, whether it's, you know, having board meetings. If you have young people on your board, have your board meeting on a Saturday when the, you know, a young person can attend or in an evening. So just thinking about different ways that we aren't are always asking them to fit into the adult world, but also trying to find ways that we can fit into their systems and their own sort of frameworks.
0: Right. That all makes a lot of sense. And it brings me to my final uh, question, which is what do you see as the next steps for making adolescent health more visible and a higher priority in the global health community?
1: I think we need to continue to demonstrate that adolescents are, uh, are essential to achieving our development priorities. And I think this is a, a point that the policy tries to make, that if we're really, you know, if we're laying out these global initiatives and these global development priorities, you know, we have to continue to say that, for example, if we're really serious about improving child survival, we yeah. have to be looking more closely at young mothers, right. where child survival rates are, I mean, child mortality rates are high. Right. So if we're really serious about improving child survival, then we focus in on those first-time parents and make sure that they have adequate access to appropriate antenatal care that's youth-friendly, that they have access to postpartum family planning services so they're not having the second pregnancy six months after having given birth to the first child, which then multiplies the, the child's mortality, morbidity effect, and continue to help people see the value and the opportunity of young people, not just that they're a risk to manage, but they're an opportunity to be capitalized upon. And then I think finally we have to find new ways of working with young people. I think we're still kind of stuck in some of these old hypotheses and theories of change, and we have to kind of break free from what we know doesn't work and sort of changing up the way we think about youth programming, but at the same time recognizing that we have accomplished a lot in 20 years. And I think there's greater recognition of the importance of certain key populations of young people where we need to be doing better investment, whether it's married adolescents, um, adolescents living with HIV, um, urban poor, you know, having greater understanding of those particular populations and recognizing, you know, there's this one-size-fits-all approach to working with young people. So at times, you know, you feel like, oh my God, where, are we, you know, what are we doing and why isn't anything working? And just sort of recognize. Well, actually, we've made some we've made some progress. Took a long time for this problem to reach the point that if that's going to take us a while to sort of figure out ways to address it. But you know, it's it's. Uh, I think we are making progress, and certainly, I feel like in the last two three years, the conversation I think has has reignited in a way it has not been discussed. Um, I think ICPD, which was you know 20 years ago, mm-hmm. ignited a lot of discussion, and then for lots of reasons things kind of, you know, faded, and I think we're, we're back and maybe a few steps ahead of where we were at, uh, in um, in Cairo in, in 1994, so that's very promising. Yeah.
0: Well, and I'm glad you said that, actually, because I think that the conversation has shifted, and we're coming up on, you know, a big year of opportunity mm-hmm. for the health and development world generally, but also for young people, as, as there's a lot more attention and calls for incorporating youth issues into the, you know, the sustainable development goals, the post-MDG yeah. stuff, and the, the yeah. ICPD plus 20, and, all of that, I think. So hopefully we're starting from a stronger place um, as yeah, we I go so, into that I, moment.
1: Because if I remember correctly, the, when the MDGs were developed, you know, youth were n- there was no discussion of young people. So it's yeah. fantastic that we're having this discussion now. So yeah. I think we just keep fighting the good fight.
0: Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. This is a nice compliment to the work that the Lancet's doing to see how you know, USAID is taking on youth in, um, in their own work.